Hello, welcome to the new Gab and Jules show. No Gab Marcotti again today is on uh, the, the longest holidays ever, I think. This is what he needs. But that means Nedo Manua is with me. Hello, my man. Thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. Pleasure. We've got a big show because we've had a full run of Premier League action apart from the Chelsea City game that is tonight on Thursday night. We'll have Serie A. We had Serie A that is coming back. Um, we had the Copa del Rey as well. Plenty, plenty of football already this week. And we decided to start... We Tottenham because we left them. Of course, of course. Of course, we left them on New Year's Day, I think it was, after a 2-0 defeat at home against Aston Villa, the boost from the crowd, plenty of tension, Antonio Conte not happy, um, the players not happy either, and yet they bounced back with a pretty impressive second-half performance against Crystal Palace on, on Monday night. Yeah, do you know, it's interesting because the four goals would suggest that it was very impressive. But it wasn't like I saw them. I thought, oh, they're actually really exciting, doing something really, really well. Yeah. I think they took their chances really well. And I think for Palace, there's going to be some level of disappointment because it didn't really feel like they really laid a glove on Spurs. But scoring goals in the Premier League is always going to be a big deal. And the fact that they can score four away from home is going to be the thing that maybe sparks them up. Because at half time, I think Conte put his team out there first. They were really out. Yeah. Do you think maybe they've had a bit of a, you know, the hair dry treatment that Fergie yeah, used to yeah. do or whatever? But then they came out and they were clinical. And that's what you want from that side. Because if you're going to be in the top four, you don't necessarily need to play well all the time, but you need to be clinical, especially away from home. And the fact that they managed to do that, get the four goals, and you finish with big smiles on people's faces, you know, it's a far cry from what was just a few days earlier when they were playing at home in front of their own fans. Yeah, yeah. And there was a sense of doom and gloom, especially after Conte got on the mic afterwards and said, basically, they're a disaster. Yeah, and I mean, the contrast between... It, even the first half, they were not. It no, was it was no. a very even first half, yeah. and I guess Palace had maybe even the better the better chance. The one that Lloris yes. says on Jordan Ayew, but half time I would have never thought, okay, they're going to destroy them in that no. in that second half. No, it didn't. It didn't feel like it was going to be a four 0 game, but then as time was progressing, I think after the second Kane one, you could see yeah, the Palace maybe back on, yeah. yeah Palace maybe try to change the strategy a little bit because of the fact they were playing at home and that made it just a little bit more open yeah. for Spurs and they were able to be clinical and you know it could be a very significant game for them because when you looked at say the form they were in prior to this the fact they were always conceding goals first and the fact that they had so many injuries you thought well I guess this is where the wheel's going to fall off for Spurs they're likely mm. to lose this game and it'll be a bit somewhat of a crisis but then instead you know, they're, they're looking up things, they're looking rosy, and we've got an FA Cup side this weekend now. And, and for once, they started well, I thought, instead of the like usual, sort of very yeah. lethargic way that they start and go go behind, uh, after the first 15 minutes, then then you have end up, as, as we said, but the first 15 minutes, they look, okay, maybe finally they just understood that maybe. they had to start. Yeah. Um, we talked about Erling Haaland last week when you were already on the show uh, and the incredible record. We, we need to talk about another striker in Harry Kane because that was his 300th Premier League appearance mm. and he scored his 197th and 198th goal. It's ridiculous. Really, which is, And I think there's 44 assists as well on yeah. top of that. A lot of those have been very recent, by the way, because he has reinvented yeah, himself. Yeah, 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 true, Shouldn't, true. Don't forget that, yeah. But those numbers are pretty... They're special, yeah. Incredible. They are, they are, they are really, really special. And even as it stands, I think, is he on 15 or 16 Premier League goals now? Uh, so I think 15 and 18. Okay. That by itself is amazing, but it's not getting any real sort of like attention because Haaland's on 21. Yeah, he seems yeah, to be yeah. scoring every single week. But the rate that he's going at is is so impressive, and he's having a fantastic season. But say Spurs aren't necessarily matching that. But like I say, someone else is outscoring him. Mm. But credit to him because I remember um, there was a point I think when we were in the Championship with QPR, and Harry Kane might have been on the bench for Leicester, yeah. and ahead of him was Jamie Vardy and David Nugent. And there was a time when at QPR, I believe it was Harry Redknapp said had the chance to sign Harry Redknapp, and I don't, and he said that. This, don't take this verbatim, whatever. But I'm pretty sure he turned down the opportunity because he didn't think he'd make anything of his career. Right. So, 198 yeah, goals see. later, seems like maybe really? that was the wrong decision. <laughs> maybe, perhaps. Maybe. But he's he's very very good, and I think the way that he um, the way that he finishes, I think he's, I think Haaland has a potential to score more goals. But I yeah. think by itself, the way Kane finishes when he's anywhere near the penalty box. Like, I, I, I see it going in more. Yeah, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, visually, there's something about it. Like, his second goal against Palace, the one that Brian Hill, yeah. who I was quite critical of the other night on the FC show, and he he had a good game, I thought, against Palace. But the way he controls it with the inside of his left foot and then strike his yeah, straight away finish, with yeah. the laces on his right, 
just, yeah. uh, that was just like... From, from a technique standpoint, but then what I would say is that I think in those instances, if we fast forward to Haaland being the same age as Harry Kane, maybe Haaland will be exactly the same, you know, in terms of some yeah. of those finishes, they just yeah, Haaland yeah, yeah, is an yeah, exceptional completely. finisher. Completely. But from a technique standpoint, it just feels like Kane's a bit better with that. And I know I can hear, can hear that. That's people complaining online. They're saying, oh, but Haaland's got... Yeah, I understand. I'd take either of them. Yeah, 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 completely. Obviously, but Harry Kane, absolutely incredible in terms of the goals that he scored, the fact that he's the main man for them. And yeah. what I love the most is when that cross came in from Perisic, which was a fantastic cross. Yeah. That's when Kane now is using his big body and getting in on the back post because he scored a couple of goals like that. Yeah, he scored one against yeah, Brentford yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's why I love to see him as well as the stuff in and around, you know, the edge of the box. Like getting at the back post and dominate people because he's more than capable. But then I watch him. I've watched him a lot this season. I've been to the. I don't know why. Like you know, for work and, and everything. And at times I'm like, why is he not? Why is there no more service for him? Why don't they create more chances? Because it's called 15. I think the XG is not much higher. Yeah. And actually, there's not much. There's not much going on for him in that team, which mm. is crazy because we don't need to go back to how he signed for City when he when yeah. they wanted him. Uh, how many goals would he have scored? How many goals would he score in a City team or in a team that creates more chances for the strikers that played in a more proactive way than Spurs? You would think far more than just the 15 that he has already. Yeah, you would you would think that. But then some of that comes with Spurs just being a team that scores a lot more goals. You know, I don't mm. I don't know if that's necessarily Conte's biggest skill or biggest asset. I think defensively, teams tended to be quite strong. And stop me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But then, you know, it's a miss when you don't have Kulusevski and Son, say, on top form. Like, Son finally scoring yeah, yesterday. Yeah, 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 which is going to be good when, for him. Yeah, it surely it has to be good for him. But this is a guy who was top scorer, joint top scorer in the league last season. And this yeah. year, he's, he had three goals, yeah. which all scored in one game in the space of 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, when somebody, when the drop-off alongside you can be that high, then maybe that'll affect you yourself because you mm. can't take the burden of scoring everyone's goals because that's not really the way football works. So I think maybe they'll adapt their approach to a certain extent. But one thing for sure for Spurs, even though they've been conceding goals, they had a sense of like fight back within them. They didn't have it against Aston Villa, but in other games, yeah. they've come back and done yeah, something. Yeah, 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 and that's true. Kane, whether that's Bentoncourt or other people stepping up. And they're, they're in such, a, such an interesting spot because I think they are a good side. I don't know what their ceiling is or what their potential is. But every so often they'll show you something and the fact they've got Harry Kane and you think, well, maybe they'll be with a chance, but yeah. this year it seems like everyone is. Right, now, let's take it just a few days ago after that Villa defeat, Antonio Conte in his press conference, as you mentioned briefly earlier, was saying that, you know, fifth is maybe the maximum they can do because they're basically saying they're not very good. I mean, from himself. Mm. Clearly not happy, not happy with the board saying that I told them that we had to invest. I told them that we had to spend more money. Look at the others. They spend money like they have a bazooka. We have like a small water pistol or whatever he said, something like that. <laughs> I quite like the bazooka um, yeah. you know, image. Um, I, I understand in a way what he's saying. Before, before we get critical on content because we have to. You understand or you agree? No, I, I understand that he says that there's a point where if you want to catch or if you want to compete or catch up with the others in the Premier League, the top six, mm. who spend money, who spend, you know, who, yeah, who spend money, not always wisely, but spend money, you also need to spend. Yes. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Arsenal had to say to their owner, listen, if you don't spend, we're never going to do it. We're never going to make it. Yeah. Um, Spurs have spent money though. They've spent money last summer. You know, they bought Romero for 50 million. They bought Richarlison for 50 million. They bought Kulusevski for 30. They bought Bentancourt for 30. You know, they bought Jed Spence, even if they don't use him. They yeah. bought him. So the Perisic is, is on a free, but it's a big wages. Yeah. So they've invested money. Mm -hmm. Clearly not as much as he wanted. And that's where I'm like, okay, Antonio, but you got, it's not like if you didn't get any backup whatsoever, you got some backup, you got yeah. some money invested. Yeah. I think that the response from Daniel Levy right now would be like, hang on, I, understand, I hear what you're saying, but we backed you up already. Yeah. Maybe not enough for your liking, but we still did. Mm. I think Daniel Levy should do more. I think Joe Lewis, which I said the other night, is the most invisible owner in... Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing, I think. Why? Because as an owner, I think if you really care about your football club, you should, lead by example is the wrong one, but you should show that you care. Mm -hmm. And showing by your care is attending matches, being involved with the running of the club to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, having a voice, 
So sometimes it's good to speak out in, in the media, but you don't have to do an interview every day or with everybody. Mm. But I think it's good because you also set the direction for your football club. Yeah. Or mm. you should. But but I can't help thinking, before you give me your opinion, that Conte is also a bit crying and it's never his fault and it's all, always somebody else's fault, not enough investment, the players, the fans, the other clubs in the Premier League, they spend too much, they're too strong, they're too good, blah, 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 and never really his responsibility. Do you, when he says all that, though, do you think he genuinely believes it? Why would he say it then? Because he seems to say it near every transfer window. He does, to be fair. So then why does it matter most at that stage? And I think he knows... I don't, I don't think he's maximised this current Spurs side in terms of their potential. Yeah, in the sense that way, they should be playing better than what I they think do. They can, I think they can be playing better. I think style of play can be whatever it is, but I think they, they can, they can play better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, and to add to that, we want to talk about investment and being great and so on. Say Arsenal have invested, but say if Arsenal had the same amount of key players missing as Spurs did, who comes in? Are Arsenal going to be the same? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. You know what I mean? So from a squad standpoint, not every team is in a position whereby like a Man City where you can change your fullbacks, change your midfielders, you know, like every week for City is Gundogan in or Bernardo Silva. Yeah, yeah. You know, not every team has that. So to say, to treat it like it's black and white, say they haven't had the investment like that, it, make, it does make me wonder because say Mikel Arteta at this moment in time has fully maximised probably 13, 14 players within yeah. their squad. They're playing to their full potential. yeah, yeah. And they are top of the tree right now. I think Spurs can be playing better. I think when you look at, say, Man United, who are on the rise now, their team from front to back isn't miles ahead of what Spurs is. When you look at Newcastle, they're not miles ahead, yeah. as we saw in the game against Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Arsenal would say they deserve to win that game. Newcastle feel they deserve something because they've played defensively well. Newcastle wasn't really end-to-end, 60% no, yeah, possession yeah, yeah, yeah. total football. So there are ways to do it. So I think when he speaks up, I don't know who he's talking to exactly because if he needs to speak to the invisible owner that is Joe Lewis then talk to him directly if you yeah, can. Yeah. But then if for a player, like if you were playing and you heard a manager say the best they can do is really fifth, like would you believe him? Because surely that's putting a lid on what you are. But as a player, in terms of teams that played exceptionally well throughout this season so far, I'd probably only mention Arsenal because Man City, they've shown flashes but then they've shown weaknesses as well. Mm -hmm. So why would you believe that there are four teams who are miles ahead of you when those four teams haven't really done anything that's like... But did he say it because he didn't want people to say, well, you're a bad manager because you're not making the most of people the squad anyway. that you have? People say anyway. I think, he's, I think he's got really high standards and this is one of the reasons yeah, yeah, why... Yeah, like, true. Yeah, for myself and others. Like, I wouldn't want to be a manager because to stand on the sideline helpless, like he could have worked on them from Monday through Friday on one particular thing. Then when Saturday comes and they concede again, you're just standing there thinking like, why did they not listen? <laughs> yeah. You know? Fair. But then then when he says before the Palace game, well, I, I need to accept that I'm building something here. I'm not here to win titles. That's you're, a lie. You're his squad. You're his players. That's a lie. That's such a lie. That's such a lie. I think there's a difference between, say, wanting to win the Premier League title and wanting to win a trophy. Because yeah. the, when the League Cup and the FA Cup, anything is possible on your run to get there. You might not play against the marquee team until the final stages. You might not play against yeah, the marquee yeah, team in yeah. general. Like you you have, say, seven, six games or whatever it is to win a cup competition and you will start that tournament believing that you can do it. And why would you believe at any point that you can't? So when he says he's not there to do that, then Antonio Conte, I didn't have him down as being the the team builder, generational builder that will take four or five years to develop a young squad and turn with something else. Mm. Otherwise, it probably, oh, I don't know. He's, I find, I just, you know, I'm trying to, I, I don't dislike him, but I don't understand him. Because, yeah, he's, yeah. you know what I mean? Because he speaks some stuff, but then who's it for? Like, do the fans want to hear a manager that's in there say they can't finish better than fifth? Do the players want to hear it? Does Daniel Levy want to hear it? Does the ownership want to hear it? So who wants to hear it? Who's it yeah, for? Yeah, but I think that's his personality. I think he was the same in Italy. Remember last season, they lost to Burnley away yeah, yeah. in a I yeah. mean, a shocking game, shocking yeah. performance. And after that, he, almost, he said, like, I'm not really sure I want to be here. Yeah. And they, they, in a way, turned things around to finish top four and just beating Arsenal to it towards the last few games. Remember how it happened. So may, maybe when he moans like this and complains like this, it kind of has a, maybe some positive effect in it. On who, though? 
I don't know, maybe on the players. And I mean, maybe that performance at Palace is a reflection to what he said after the, the defeat against Villa was beneficial because they they played better. I thought they pressed yeah. a bit better. They they were more urgency to but their game. There's, there's, so a sense the of there's a sense of personal pride to that. And I, w I would be interested to see what the relationship is like with the players because maybe he really has them on board and maybe they're just not playing well at this moment in time. Yeah. Because what I would say is if a manager ever comes out and even hints that you as a group of players aren't good enough, you don't all of a sudden just start playing better because at that point you've lost the connection with the manager. The best managers, say like an Arteta now, like others around, the players are playing well and the manager will t say to them, you're doing a great mm. job. You're being selected every week because you're fantastic with this. Maybe we could iron this out, but you are on fire. You are the guy. And yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. Made, someone made a good point the other day, I think it was Mark Schwarzer, like whether we like it or not, everyone is a confidence player. But there's different extents to it. Yeah, yeah. Some people don't need the arm around the shoulder to play to play well. But when they get the arm around their shoulder, they're like unplayable. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for him to be saying that in front of everyone, it does make you wonder. But Spurs for me, they're they've got all the potential to be a really good side. But you do wonder like what what does he want to achieve there? Because if he wanted to stay long term, surely sign a long term contract. Yeah, because it's obviously hasn't been exactly. the case. Is, yet. is he done at the end of the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think he'll stay next year? I don't. It will depend a lot. If they don't qualify for the Champions League, so they don't you think that You think four? that's the thing, the Champions League, that's going to be yeah. the thing that gets him over the line. Yeah. I but even so. if they save their fourth and 30 points off top. But I think, I think the Champions League brings you money to invest. And you say to your owner, and we go back to that, to Daniel Levy, who I think has made mistakes, uh, and Joe Lewis even more. But if you can't and you finish fourth, third, second, whatever they finish, they won't finish first. But... You go and say, listen, we've qualified for the Champions League, but it was, again, very difficult. It was, again, tricky. We need more. We need this. We need that. I don't, and then I, you go again, you know. I, did, I personally, I, and I could be wrong here, I don't see him being at Spurs in, say, two years' time. So what I would wonder is, say, if they do finish top four and they have a great end to the season and they get given money, what's Joe Lewis and what's Daniel Eve going to be like about bringing players very specific to this one manager who maybe you don't perceive as being exceptional? Yeah, no, exactly. Anyway. But I don't think Conte is the answer. But I don't think Mourinho was the answer. I don't think Nuno was the answer. I don't think... I mean, Poch was a bit different. But, you know, I think yeah. I think Daniel Levy has made mistakes in how he picked the managers they wanted. And Nuno was not first choice, of course. But still, like, get the right guy instead of, of just getting someone. And, and I don't think Conte was the answer either. Well, um... One thing about this, yeah, so one of my friends is an agent and he's got a, I can't name names too much, but he's got like an aspiring young centre-back who's in the Premier League now, who's potentially going to be making the next step to like a big club. Yeah. And he said to me, at this moment in time, would you, if he was to transfer in January, would you rather go to, send him to Man United or to Spurs? What would you say? Well, Man United every day. Imagine Why? a young player with Ten Hag. You think, so that's the thing, you'd go for the manager. I mean, the dynamic is more positive at United. Because in, re in relation to the, to the differences, and this is what sort of, it makes you look at the clubs in a different manner. So I thought probably maybe United because the manager's probably going to be there for longer. That's what it felt like in the mm. moment. But then my friend countered it by saying, well, the infrastructure at Spurs is amazing. The stadium's amazing. Yeah. The training ground's amazing. You know what I mean? Being in London and all that jazz. And when we looked at it, we thought even for as much as Spurs have potential, if Man United are ever really good again, you'll feel that impact in the Premier League and globally. Yeah, massively. So you do wonder, like, how does Spurs counter that? You know, they've got potential. Yeah. But are they forever going to be the club with potential as opposed to the club that actually achieves something? But then with potential, you have to build it up. And Conte is not the guy to build anything. He, this is not what he does. He wins. He wins when he's got a huge investment behind him, which hasn't really been the case in there. And I think that's why he might leave. That's why he's thinking like, this is not for me here. This is not why what I did he do. Come? Nobody forced him to come. That's the thing. Nobody forced him to go to Spurs. No, but maybe he thought, okay, maybe they're going to change now. Maybe instead of, maybe there'd be more investment so you can build quicker. Yeah. And, and achieve quicker than... To, to, to spin it all the way back around anyway, these next few years for me are the most important for Spurs in sort of my lifetime anyway, because you've got someone who's going to potentially be the, the highest goal scorer in Premier League history, yeah. who is going to have give you probably another magnificent three, four years. But then after that, who knows what the situation is going to be. It's going to be a new Spurs. Mm, no, for sure. So it feels like even though you want to build for the future, 
there is an importance about now because otherwise your biggest asset might not necessarily be the biggest asset going forward. And then once other teams say, you're having Haaland getting older and some of these young superstars getting older and coming into the Premier League, before you know it, that big asset all of a sudden is just one of many players that exists as opposed to one of the guys now. Yeah, yeah. Can, the only guy who seems to be able to challenge Erling Haaland for being top scorer in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, they've got very special player in Harry Kane, which we knew before, yeah. but after what happened at the World Cup and they'd be like, oh, yeah. how will he come back? How will he... I think he showed, apart from maybe the Villa game, which was a bad game for them yeah, overall. Yeah. Um, we mentioned that they play in the FA Cup this weekend, like like everybody else, at, at home against Portsmouth, which you would expect them to you know, win. It stinks of 11 changes, though. Yeah, it, it does. But I'm not yeah. even sure they have 11 players to change. They'll from, find 11 so from they'll somewhere. They'll find 11. Yeah, Fair enough. 11. After that, though, it's Arsenal in the derby, again at home, and then City away. City away. So... For all the, the the better that we saw against Palace in the second half, all this chat about where they are in terms of context and the relationship, Conte, the board, Kane, Son, all of that, Portsmouth, not so much, but certainly after that, mm. the doubleheader yes. against Arsenal and City. That's where we will find out a bit more what they're really made of, if there is progress, if they're on the right path, or if actually the Palace game was just... Uh, yeah. That's, that, I think that's key. It's a very good point that you've made because in those two games, obviously, you know, you don't want to look past the game, but we'll talk about the league. If they win those two games, they're getting ground on two teams who are above them. Yeah. If they lose both, then that gap just widens that little bit further. And they don't necessarily need to be trying to win the league. But in that same time, Newcastle have proven that they don't lose. They've lost one game all season. Yeah, yeah. Man United are currently on fire. And, you know, they'll play against Man City next week. But losing those two games, if they do it, I think that's a huge, huge setback because before you know it, at this stage, maybe Liverpool are better, you know, maybe Chelsea are better. And then they could go from being in fourth, is it, are they fourth now? Or fifth, fifth yeah, go fifth. from being fifth to being in seventh and now being maybe seven, eight points away from being in fourth again. So those are some very, very big moves for them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Enough Spurs, Nathan. What about some crickets? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this on Thursday night. So tonight, as we're recording the show, Chelsea hosts Manchester City. Mm-hmm. How do you see this one going? Uh, as a supporter of Man City, I'm a bit nervous. Um, really? Yeah. Chelsea have won one in seven in the Premier League. Yeah, Premier. and that's why. That's why. <laughs> really? okay. You know, when you when you think about some like really big teams that struggle they're not going to struggle forever. And they're always that one big result away from something kicking on. And I do have a sort of worry about Chelsea, not not because they're playing that well, but the fact that they're at home, the yeah. fact that for them, they can enter the game at home as an underdog yeah. and play to that standard. And I think some fans get right behind those sorts of moments because being dominant is great. But sometimes, you know, something within us wants to see our team just like battle out and grind a result when they're not the favourite. But in the same breath, you know, I could see Chelsea maybe winning 1-0, but I would not be surprised if City won by a few. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like if they click, because say the game against Everton uh, when they drew 1-1, don't get me wrong, it's a bad result relatively speaking for City because Arsenal pulled away just that little bit. But you look back and say, it's not it's probably not a million miles away from the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game in the World Cup. Everton had two shots on goal. They scored with one. They took a point, you know, and they defended well. But that game probably doesn't happen nine times out of ten. No, that's for sure. You know what I mean? So for City, if they can find positives and go and take on this match and sort of raise their level and they can bring back a Kyle Walker, Jao Cancelo and the like, then maybe they could get in the flow because that's what they'll need to do is catch his Arsenal side. But 
as I say, I'm a, I'm a, a good one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, it's everything. If City win today, Graham Potter's on, under a lot of pressure. Yeah, even more than you. You know what I mean? It's yeah, under yeah, a lot of pressure, sure. especially if it's one of those games where City dominate. But then the other side is true, where if they win, I just don't see how Chelsea can can score against this. Still even score. without Ruben Diaz, even if Laporte is not, yeah. you still have Ake and Stones. Yeah, City. They've got more players available, and I think for Chelsea, they, they can they can score. But it's a question: Can they stop City from scoring after they have scored themselves? Yeah. But it'll be a very very interesting game. But you know, I do support Man City, so nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean that way. Anyway, Arsenal are now eight points clear of City yeah. after their nil nil draw of Newcastle. Jules, what caught your eye in that game? So first of all, I don't know if you agree with me. I thought it was a really, really high-level game yeah. between two very good teams. Mm-hmm. One, clearly, that was there in Newcastle to defend a bit more, and yeah. that's fair enough. And Eddie Howe clearly changed something after 20, 25 minutes. The 4-3-3, I mean, they got battered for the first 15 minutes. Revert to a more kind of defensive-minded 4-5-1. Mm. And, and I think Arsenal kept trying, especially in the second half, where they got better. But the physicality that that Newcastle have, I think, is a problem for a lot of the big teams. We saw that against City, that 3-3 yeah. draw uh, earlier in the season. Aston James's Park showed it that they can play with intensity, they can play with physicality. What do you mean when you say physicality? What do you mean by that? Well, I think they're strong. I think they're very good on set pieces. I think they are very aggressive in the way they play, in the way they, they defend as mm. well, in the way they, they press with the medium block. So they're not going to come and, and get you high all the time. They yeah. do it at times, but not all the time. But I think that if I was a player right now, I would hate playing against Dan Byrne. And even if Saka did really well, I think. Yeah, how come? I just don't know that that but man is physical. Joel Linton is physical. Yeah. Callum Wilson and Chris Wood. You see those kind of guys. Yeah. It's just a hell of a test, I think, every time you play against them. Yeah, I think that's that 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 is fair. That is fair. But see the Dan Byrne thing, I think the, the key adjustment for me was when they start to sort of make it 2v1 in Newcastle's favour because they realise almost straight away that Saka's got the beating of him. Yeah, yeah, If he can't get to... If Dan Byrne can't get to Saka, Saka's going to get the ball and run directly at him because he's got the potential to go down the line inside and so on. But what I thought they did well, especially because that's probably the quietest game I've seen Martinelli have as well. Yeah, I thought yeah, Kieran yeah. Trippier did a good oh, job, amazing. but I think the support that went over there yeah, to make it 2v1 was fantastic. From, yeah. So there is an element of physicality that comes with Newcastle, but you almost ask at what expense because for as much as it was a very good game... Um, it seemed like Newcastle weren't going to win it with the last 30 minutes to go in that no, match. No, for sure, yeah. I think they had four touches in the Yeah, they were defensively yeah. solid, but it didn't look like they're going to win it. It'll be interesting to see what they're like when like Isak comes back, for example. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I thought Callum Wilson did okay. Uh, I thought Chris Wood did okay. Yeah. But it seemed like they were missing that spark. But also to counter that as well. Do you think they're better with or without Sam Maximan? So I think in a game like this, you play Joel Linton and Willock. Yeah. And and because you want because you want to be more defensive, otherwise you play Joel Linton as an eight, like you've done many times, and Sam Maxima, or even Murphy if you want as a left winger. But as but as you say that, Sam Maxima will never do the work defensively that yeah. Joel Linton did in the same position. That's a, but that's the tough one because Willock has played really well. Yeah. Joel Linton's played played really well. So at this point now, when you think about how well they've played, it's played in a stretch where. Sam Maxman has not been there. No, for sure. You know, That's so now when he comes in, it's, all of a sudden it's an adjustment to the way that the team is yeah, getting lots sure. of success. For sure. I mean, I, I, th- I thought it was it was good. I don't know what you said about the two penalties. I thought the handball, I can see why it's not given because yeah. I think Murphy is very close. If to it was his other arm, I think it's a penalty yeah. because it's that one. The one on the, the, the shirt grab on Gabriel, yeah, that the, looked a bit more... Yeah, that, that one looked more dodgy. of a penalty yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. And yeah. what I would say with that, from when... That's not given. It's an indication that referees, you know, coming into this part of the season now, they know that minor offences happen in the penalty box, but they're not looking to be given a penalty for everything because otherwise the way that the game is played would fundamentally change. And it's always, it's never good to see somebody touching someone's shirt, but in a sort of physical nature game, like a lot of that stuff happens, but we just don't notice it. There was a lot of talk as well, Ned, about Newcastle and the time wasting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Do you agree? I don't... I don't. I personally don't see it as a problem. I think one thing about that game itself was the fact that the referee set the tone from very early by giving yeah. some yellow cards. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot. It was a lot of yellow yeah. cards. And as I looked at the game, do you know when you think about games which are like overly physical, you're seeing teams going head to head with each other and stuff like that. But there wasn't a lot of that. There was more so players gathering around the referee saying, "Well, how can you not book that guy yeah. when you've just booked one of our yeah. own?" So it wasn't the two teams going at it. 
It was almost like the two teams going at it with the referee, trying to seek consistency from him. And I think for the way that Newcastle were, to be going to the Emirates, you're not going to outplay Arsenal. The 50,000, 60,000 fans yeah. that are there are going to make the game very, very tough for you, yeah. especially given how well Arsenal started. So in terms of time-wasting, like why would you rush the game? If you play at tempo, you play into Arsenal's hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a, sure. that's one of the fundamentals is like an away team. You go and try and like upset the crowd, try and play the game at your own pace and not their own and make the crowd more frustrated as opposed to excited by what's going on in the field. And the physicality thing, because we, because you're watching from home, we had the benefit of seeing some of the tackles and stuff. Yeah, getting yeah, yellow cards. Like, like Joe Linton, I think got yellow for something which wasn't that bad yeah, and so yeah. on. It wasn't that bad a game. No, but, I, yeah. But because 60,000 people were upset and there was the emotion because it was such a big game, it feels like it was, but they're far more aggressive games, which we'll never talk about, in yeah, my opinion. No, what do you true. think? Yeah, and, and also I've got nothing against Mikel Arteta being very animated, agitated, yeah. excited, passionate on the touchline. I don't, I don't see it's a problem. I think he, he, needs it, he almost needs it to transmit to his players on the pitch, which I think they respond very well to. Yeah, so, no, and to the was, crowd as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. To the crowd as well. So Lionel Messi came back at PSG on Wednesday. Yeah, And had a guard of honour and a yes. trophy from the club. Yes. He, uh, take it, you're glad he's back then. I'm glad he's back. He's not going to play in the, uh, the French Cup uh, this weekend. Probably the league match after that. Uh, they, Kylian Mbappé is away on holiday, so we, won't have, we didn't have the reunion between the two finalists. But Neymar was there. I think Messi was really touched. He didn't, didn't know what to expect. Didn't think that they would do something, maybe. They did the same for when Mbappé won the World Cup with Kimpembe and Areola. They did the same when the Italians won the Euros as well. So it's not just for Messi, but I thought it was, they had to do something. And I think, I think that was the right thing to do. Mm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another poor performance from Liverpool on Tuesday at Brentford and another defeat, Nets. And they might have lost Virgil for quite a while. Yeah, they might have lost Virgil and that is going to be a blow for them because he is an ever-present within that side. But for Liverpool, it's another bad performance on the season. There's the belief that they will be back. Liverpool will be back. Yeah. But they're just not back yet, you know. And again, Brentford have been getting some really good results recently. I think they drew with Spurs and they probably feel they should have won. Beat Man City. Yeah. And now this result against Liverpool, like they're a tough side to play, but I expect more from Liverpool going forward, to be honest. It was really bad. Yeah. And the club was kind of complaining about physicality. Listen, time you, can't, you can't be happy fouls, when you lose. You referees. can't be happy when you lose. So you've got to find an yeah, excuse, reason, whatever you want it to be. Yeah, and Darwin. Darwin. Uh, huge game for the Serie A restart between Inter and Napoli, Jules. How did it go? Yeah, that was great, Nadem, on, uh, on Wednesday night, to be fair. Big win for Inter. A lovely, lovely goal, if you haven't seen it, but Jaco, the switch from Mkhitaryan on the left. DiMarco, perfect cross, and then and then Jaco's header. Uh, big game because that was Napoli's first defeat, league mm -hmm. defeat in the season, of course. Uh, they lost against Liverpool in the Champions League, but in the league, that was their first defeat because the gap now is a bit smaller between them, Milan in second, and Inter in fourth, and Juventus in third as well. So that kind of opened up a little bit more the title race when we thought that Napoli were cruising. So really good game. Napoli had chances, but Inter had more chances. I think Inter could have even scored two or three. So well done to Simone Inzaghi, went to, to Inter. And then, you know, let's, let's, it was, I think the perfect start, restart for Serie A, the start yeah, of the, for of sure, the new year. For sure. Marcus Rashford scores for the fourth consecutive game as Manchester United beat Bournemouth. Ten Hag was not too happy about the performance. But Rashford is what playing the best football of his life. You think maybe after the the first season that he had, remember when he broke? Through? Yeah, when he when he first broke on the scene, he was obviously very impressive. Yeah. But he was raw. But now he's like you kind of see more of a finished article. Like with this goal uh, against uh, Bournemouth, he wasn't just him taking the ball, dribbling, shooting from distance. He's getting into the right areas. He's making runs without the ball. Yeah, he's trying to affect the game in a positive way. You can see his confidence is up because last year he had a very disappointing season. But he's a chance for him this year to break all his own goal records. And why would you bet against him? I think when you score multiple in multiple games in a row, yeah. Oh, not that I know the feeling, but for attackers, <laughs> like you know, the feeling must be incredible. It must be incredible to be playing that well and for your team to be working their way up the table as well. And especially considering how difficult, let's say, the last eighteen months yeah. was before this season. You know that he was football's tough. Football's tough, but when things are going well, 
probably feels like the best job in the world to him right now. Yeah. And Ten Hag obviously said the game wasn't perfect, but it's nice when a Man United manager can win 3-0 and still say there's more to come. Yeah, for true, the past true. Few years, the hair was good. Yeah, yeah was, but that's what you're paying for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so Barca narrowly escaped a proper humiliation in the Copa del Rey duels. It was against, was it CF Intercity? Yeah, exactly. And they, they won 4-3 in the end in, after extra time. They, they were 1-0 wow. up and then... Uh, Intercity came back. They've got this player, Oriol Soldevilla, who used to be a Barca, who used to be a La Masia, used to be a Barca player who scored a hat trick. Every time Barca scored 1 0, they went back to 1 1, 2 1, 2 2, 3 2, 3 3. And then in extra time, with a very strong team, they, they finally won. They were lucky. Talking about humiliation, Adam Everton was destroyed by Brighton 4 1, and Frank Lampard is clearly on the brink of being in sack now. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. I think that game against Man City where they drew. It felt to me like um, not a false dawn as such, but something where all of a sudden expectation probably rises up a fraction. Yeah. So to then to get the chance to play at home, you think that's usually a good thing, but maybe more fans would have gone to this game because of that result against Man City. But here come a Brighton side who are very well organized. It's the wrong just team as to danger. play against. Yeah, it's the you, wrong team to play yeah. against then. And then before you know it, you're 4-0 down at home. You're wow. hearing the booze and it was a horrible fourth goal as well. But this is this is football. This is the way things go. And when while they're down there, you know, the people don't seem to have a connection with Lampard. You know, mm -hmm. connection that will buy him time. So the more results that happen like this, and in some ways I say it's uncharacteristic because they don't really concede four goals in any games at all. No, and but yeah, there was three and six. Yeah, so it's, it's a it's a very very bad flurry for them. But what do you do in your next game now? Because if you lose again, as you said, Lampard, I, I don't condone people being sacked or whatever, saying on oh, my timing, but. Question is going to be asked because the team don't seem to be heading in the right direction at the moment. But he hasn't been good enough anyway since he was appointed. I mean, well, if he you did look keep at them his... up though, he did keep them up at I a point know, where they were when they when they there was a point where I think it was almost a year ago where Everton fans believed they were done. They thought they were down. So for them to finish the season and to stay up, but yeah, no, okay, but I know it's a low bar. Yeah, it's a low bar, but. It's still a bar nonetheless, and he did slightly rise above it. Yeah, maybe. But I just think uh, we go about, you know, we said about Levy and Joe Lewis and Spurs and making, like, appointing the wrong managers, I mean, one after the other after the other. I think Farid Moshiri and, and Everton are in a very similar. I don't think Benitez was the right guy. I don't think Lampard was the right guy. Yeah. And before that, we don't need to go. Bill Kenwright and all of that but it's similar I think there have been mistakes made by the board and the owners of that football club for so many years that it's also why we are in this position now for Everton mm, what's the saying you need to kiss a few frogs before you find uh, the princess the prince, something the princess. Prince. who knows maybe they're just kissing frogs who knows maybe <laughs> prince. who knows who knows but anyway you mentioned before Napoli lost and that coincident coincidentally yeah went alongside Milan, starting with a win against Salernitana. Yeah, I think they knew that because Inter were play because Napoli were playing Inter, which was a tough game, potentially Napoli could lose later in the day, mm. that it was very big for them to start the day with a win, which they did. They started really well, two goals in the first 15 minutes. Rafael Leao, who was outstanding in that game, and Sandro Tonali scoring. It got a bit like uh, rocky at the end, and Salernitana scored, and then they had to defend well, which they did, to be fair. But perfect start. Now you've closed the gap a little bit to five points with Napoli, which is still quite a gap. But obviously now uh, you'll have to wait to see how Napoli responds from, de from their defeat. And you have some momentum going in into uh, to the next game. So it's, I think it's really good. Really perfect way to start after the World Cup. But you're still back in Napoli though, for everything, yeah? Yes, although that game against Inter, I have to say... It was, was open and they could have scored, but they could have conceded defensively. I thought they were a bit mm -hmm. shaky, which is not really what I, I maybe thought before uh, about Napoli in this game. And I don't know, I still think that they are the favourite to go and win it. And because they've got the five-point cushion, it's, it's, it's significant. Mm. But I think they will have to just, you know, restart now this weekend like in a yeah. much better way than they did that game against Inter yeah still in the Copa del Rey we mentioned Barcelona before Real Madrid were not brilliant against Casereño uh, but they won thanks to a worldy by Rodrigo but a lot of the talk is about Eden Hazard Nadem and more his 
kind of shape. Yeah. Um, he looked like he enjoyed the Christmas break. Let's I enjoyed Christmas break as well. So <laughs> I, I, you know, someone in a glass house shouldn't necessarily mention uh, someone else. But I think the bigger thing for me here with Eden Hazard is when we saw him in the Premier League, he was incredible. But for Real Madrid, he hasn't been that. And it yeah. seems like he's getting worse. I think people said it was 67 minutes of nothing yesterday. So you watching the game from home had just as much impact on the game as he did on the field. Yeah. And for me... I find it quite hard to sort of root against him and joke about him because he feels like he's a good guy who tries to play football the right way. But something's missing. Definitely. Something's really missing from his play. And you can see he's affecting him physically, mentally. Maybe that's why he's a bit bigger. Maybe he's struggling from that standpoint. And you want... Because you, he's brought, he plays beautiful football when he's, when he's at his best, but it's just not there. And I do wonder, is there a way back from this point? because he spent a long time not being good now. He's heading in the wrong direction weight-wise, and as you get older, that's obviously going to be very, very tough to mm. sort of overcome. And I want him to do well, not necessarily because he's playing for Real Madrid, but because I loved watching Eden Hazard at his best. And I say, I don't know if that exists anymore. What do you think? I, I just don't think it would be the case at Real Madrid. And he's out of contract, I think, this summer, because be the, this is the yeah. fourth and last season. And then I just think you need to pick the next club, Riley. So if you don't want to be at the highest level anymore, you don't want to be... Everyone wants to be at the highest yeah, level. Yeah, but then, then, okay, I agree with you. Then you have to have the life that goes with it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you, can't, if you can't maximise your potential at Real Madrid, then where can you? So go to, go to Qatar, go to Saudi Arabia, take the money. And if you're slightly overweight there, you don't have to care there maybe about your fitness. You still make a difference because you'll still be too good for that kind of level. Mm. And, and then that'll be fine. But if you want to stay in one of the top five leagues, he will have to change his attitude because clearly the attitude is part of the problem. How old is he, do you know? 31. <sighs> There's no international football anymore because he, he, he's retired, retired internationally. So he can only focus on club football, but, you know, do you see what I mean? He, yeah, it's tough. The, num the numbers, the visuals, everything's not adding up. It's no. a tough spot for him to be in, but I do... It's a shame. I do, I wish him well. Yeah, no, of course. I wish we him do. well. That's we my do. thing. Yeah. So Juventus won their seventh Serie A game in a row on Wednesday duels against Cremonese. And it was done very much in style, wasn't it? Well, very much in Juve style. You mean because seventh win in a row is impressive in the league without considering a single goal, by the way, in those seven games. It's not bad. But they did it very much in the Juve style, which means scoring the, the only goal late, 1-0. Yep. Arkadius Milik, free kick, direct free kick in the 92nd minute. They were lucky before that. They had two VR calls, like four, four of them disallowing a goal. The second one especially was very dodgy, I thought. They were saved twice by the post. They had chances of their own and they could have scored earlier, of course. But it was just not a convincing performance again. But yeah, they keep winning. So maybe it's convincing if you win. I don't know. If you win seven league games in a row, you must do something right. I just watched them and I can't see what, what is right, apart from the <laughs> fact that they still managed to score one goal more than the opposition and that's it. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's an enigma for me, really. And they're third in the table now. So... If I they, mean, I guess, well done. Are they the type of team where, say, they win 1 0, but only because 1 0 is all they need? Like, if they were 1 0 down, would you back them to come back and win 2 1? No, you're you right. That's yeah. what I mean. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. But then I watched them yesterday and I think, like, Kremon and Cremonese are their second or bottom or second from bottom, second from bottom, I think. They're not a good, they're not a good team. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching and I'm like, Juve can't win this, Juve can't win this game. And yet they win 1 0 and they're third in the table. And I'm like, how on earth? Can they be third in this table? How competitive Serie A is this season? And yet they're third. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Okay. It's football, man. That's crazy. Enzo Fernandez is still not a Chelsea player. As of right now, when we're recording this show, there's still not a full agreement over the transfer fee and everything between Chelsea and Benfica. The negotiations continue, Ned. I just want to have your opinion on it because the last time you were on the show, we didn't really mention it. Uh, sure, Robson gave us his opinion in the last show. He would become the most expensive player in Premier League history, of course, if the deal goes through because it's 120 million pounds. Pounds, not euros. It's, yeah, it's 130 million euros. Right, okay. Um, wow. I, I, you know, I don't know if you think it's too much money for someone so young who had an amazing World Cup, but... It's, what, what is this idea of too much money if people have the money to spend it on a player? I agree completely. You know, the, the fee itself, I think people live and die by that number, but the number itself only needs to be agreed upon by two parties, yeah. the one selling and the one buying. From there, the value is always going to be relative to whatever they achieve as a football club. I think football's at a point where people have the money to do it. I remember 
10, 15 years ago, when I used to watch La Liga, this player's got a buyout clause of 100 million, 80 million. He's like, this is just, you know, it's just a joke. But now here we are at yeah. a point where yeah. that figure's there for a reason now. And I think if he does come in, it like, who knows? He will, he will help Chelsea because he's one of the best talents in world football. Does he take Chelsea over the edge and make them a guaranteed top four team? I don't think so. But I think it can form part of a situation for Chelsea, which will make them better, get better over time. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not they're going to trigger that money to go and buy him, I don't know. Because isn't the talk that they'll go higher than that so they can pay it in installments? Have you heard that? Yes. So that it's a, the release clause is the thing that where you have to write the check and, and then send it on its way. Transfer, yeah. And he has to go in obviously one go. Like yeah, exactly. One payment. Which and that's funny in itself. The fact that no, no, we'll pay more so that we can pay uh, pay in chunks. That's that. But the thing mind. is. What Benfica, where the negotiations are as a standstill right now, is that Benfica said, okay, we can take installments, it's no problem. But the first chunk, we can't do like, you know, 10 times 20, like, yeah, or, you know, like uh, yeah. 10 times 12, for example. Yeah. We have to, you pay big the first one, and then maybe the rest can go in because he, yeah. that's why release cruise is also in for Benfica. Yeah, we need, a, we need an actual benefit yeah. so to pay selling 80, the player. And then the remaining 40 can come maybe 10, 10, 10 over the length of his contract. But don't expect us to take, you know, for you to pay 10 million or 12 million, uh, you know, Have for Have you years. heard the stories about him being unprofessional now because he wants to leave? Yeah, which we've seen before in players saying like, Have you know. Have you seen that before in younger players? No, but I think he's got that edge. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Yeah, that's my only concern with it because for as good a player as he is, and he wants to leave in this moment and he's prepared to do this now, which is great, but it doesn't seem like the deal's guaranteed anyway. Mm -hmm. But transferring clubs again to a situation which is non-perfect. What happens if he doesn't like the manager? What happens if he doesn't connect with the city, doesn't connect yeah. with the fans, doesn't yeah, yeah, connect yeah. with the league? Like all of a sudden that's, you then weigh up the sort of cost benefit and the cost is very clear, it's yeah. very high. Yeah. But I hope it's one of those things where when the deal goes through, he can show his, if, it, if the deal goes through, yeah, yeah. he shows his true colours, shows his potential and adds another sort of like, Jewel to the crown of what the Premier League is, and some of the best young talents that yeah, do exist yeah. within there. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I guess we'll see. And there was a big story in the Copa del Rey jewels, wasn't there? Yeah, Ceuta. For the people who don't know, it's a team in kind of North Africa, who's, mm -hmm. who's um, a part of Spain. If you want to play in the third division, who who beat Real Valladolid, uh, which is a great achievement for them. Well done. It's one of those cup upset, you know, like big, big one, giant yeah. killing ones uh, that we always enjoy. So well done to Ceuta. Cristiano Ronaldo was unveiled as a new Al Nasser player on Tuesday in Adam. He said that he had many offers from everywhere in the world, blah, blah, blah. But he'd given his words to Al Nasser. Well, well done if you respected your words. And we also know that George Mendes is not his agent anymore. That was not involved that they had a fight and they, 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 they don't work together. What is his offers? Does he mean like January sales offers, emails coming through, get 50% off here, 70% <laughs> off here? You know, I think what his words about how he basically done all he needed to do in Europe, that can't surely be alongside all the many offers as well. You know, it seems like it's two things that sort of contradict yeah. themselves. But, you know, the bigger picture with the uh, George Mendes. Yeah, George Mendes. Not Jorge, George no, Mendes. No, just because he's Portuguese. Um, that is the interesting thing for me because then that goes back to the interview, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. And That's what Mendes really. suggesting that he shouldn't do the yeah. interview with Piers Morgan. I'm sure lots of people suggested he shouldn't do the interview with Piers Morgan. But then this is where the sort of unique nature of Cristiano Ronaldo kicks in. George Mendes is obviously hugely important to Ronaldo and to football. But Ronaldo is still very much Ronaldo in this space. This is why sometimes it's hard to do, to compare even from a thought standpoint, because you will never have the perspective unless you are him. Yeah. So he, he felt that's what he needed to do. Mendes advising him to stay at Man United, fight for his place. These are things which you say to normal people. Apparently you don't say that to Cristiano Ronaldo. And he made his decision and yeah. he's gone over there. And I'm sure he'll, um, he had the experience that, I don't know, I don't know if he's expecting it, but he'll have an experience anyway playing football and being the number one again. And maybe that's what he does need. Mm. But yeah, it's strange to see him being away from Mendes, but he's got his best friend there and uh, or one of his yeah, advisors yeah, yeah, there yeah, now. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, he's, he's still playing football because if it was a case of Europe, maybe he would have retired. But the fact is, he's still in good enough shape to be able to play yeah. and play he's going to do it because I don't think anyone's going to be brave enough to put his number up to say he's substituted. <laughs> no, or brave not with Garcia. Yeah, sure. definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely none of that whatsoever. Meanwhile, Jules, 
an incredible story in the US between Greg Berhalter and the Rayner family. Yeah, incredible, Nathan. I'm going to try to sum it up if you if you don't know much about it. Greg Berhalter is obviously the um, the US main national team head coach, who certainly was during the World Cup, where there was a few incidents with Giovanni Reina, who is Claudio Reina and Michel Reina's son. Uh, who didn't play much because he didn't have the right attitude, um, all of that. So we, we, we knew that happened. We knew that Berhalter uh, mentioned it publicly, uh, not, not naming Jorena, but saying there was a player with the wrong attitude that we almost sent home during the World Cup. Then mm-hmm. Jorena putting a statement out saying, yeah, it was me. I apologize. We thought that story was finished. Never finished. Never finished because the Berhalter family and the Reina family have been best friends forever. So Joe Reina's dad, Claudio, former Manchester City player, of course, from a... Teammate of mine, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, and Greg Berhalter have played together. They were together in youth football at university with the US team. They've been friends for like literally 40 years. The two wives, the two mums have been friends. They were roommates at university, played together at university. So they've been friends for 40 years as well or something. Uh, and now... Uh, None of that exists anymore because Giovanni Reina's man, Michel, Michel Reina, uh, was the one who went to the, um, to the USFA by saying um, that there was an incident uh, 30 years ago where Greg Berhalter kicked his wife. He was, not, he was his girlfriend at the time. So domestic violence, if you want. Uh, and basically dished the dirt on Greg Berhalter to the US Federation as payback almost as what Greg Berhalter did to Jorena, her own son. Mm. But again, they, they're like families, you know, they're like brothers and sisters and they, they, that's how close they were. Step and then she and goes sister. and does that yeah. because she doesn't agree with what the coach has done with her son during the World Cup think, where his attitude was wrong. Do you not think there's, more, there's potentially more to it than that? Because I get what he's saying about the World Cup stuff, but if she's had that information with her for basically the 30 years, Maybe that's why they were so close. Was it saying keep your enemies close and yeah, maybe. keep your friends but close we, and your enemies closer? Is that what? Is that what? Yeah, got? yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, but how can you go from being like literally? So, yeah, it's the, the accusations are very serious. You know that that we, have, we always have to mention that, but the timing of it and the nature of it. Like, what does she want now? Does she want him to be behind bars or does she want him to lose his job? Or because from the job standpoint. Maybe he would have been on his way anyway. Yeah, so he's not technically anymore the coach because his contract Contracts ended in December 31st. I think if the, if the Federation were thinking about renewing his deal, extending his deal, and for Craig Berhalter to stay as the national team head coach right now, considering Joe Reyna is, with Christian Pulisic, the biggest talent that they have, if you keep Berhalter, Reyna can't play anymore for him. It's not possible. Mm. If you want Reyna to be your main guy, which talent-wise he is, really, mm. You can't have Berhalter as a head coach. Yeah, it's, uh, it's messy, as it's they say in the US. It's really messy. Nathan, Bupinder Singh Gill, I hope I pronounced that well, made history on Wednesday uh, because he became the first Singh Punjabi to be assistant referee in a Premier League match during the Southampton Nottingham Forest encounter, mm. which is great for South Asian community, South Asian football, all of that. Yeah, it's, it's huge because as you look around the sort of top divisions, not just in the UK, but in world football, you don't see people from that sort of region there. Yeah. And some people say, oh, it doesn't matter. He's just an assistant referee. You say that, but that's because you don't necessarily have the perspective that somebody that is like him will have. Maybe now other people yeah, will see that somebody looks, yeah, yeah like exactly. that, that level of inspiration. You know, we're so individual sometimes of our thought that we only recognize it when it features us but then you miss the bigger picture with other things yeah and i hope that you know he gets the job for a while and he does great his job and he can really help sort of refereeing overall improve because then maybe you'll, we'll start to see more and i think that sort of representation it always matters but you don't see the results straight away yeah, I but i hope he sticks around for a long time and i hope he enjoys it and i hope he's treated the right the way that he should be and you know, that goes beyond just assistant referee because that's the last positive yeah. thing I'll ever say about assistant referees in my life. <laughs> but yeah, long may be I agree with you completely. and the benefit come from that. Nicely said. And uh, Bethany England signs for Tottenham for Chelsea for £300,000 yeah. and became the most expensive WSL player ever, Jules. Yeah, that's right, Nathan. Um, I mean, well done to her. She needs she needs more game times that she left to play more to go to the World Cup in, the, in July, of course, in Australia with... With England, it's nowhere near the 120 million we mentioned about Enzo Fernandez. Of uh, not course, quite, no, not quite. Not quite. But 
but it's uh, I think it's good for women's football that there's more value to the players that clubs are recognizing that they need to pay more for talented players and that's that's again that goes into the right direction and I think um, what's key here as well is the fact that it wasn't Chelsea signing a player for that money or Man City signing yeah, a player yeah, for that yeah, money yeah. you know this is one of the other sides which isn't always in the Champions League for example but the fact is it shows that there is added investment that now yeah, is available to that, some yeah. of the teams and I hope in the future it's available to all of the teams yeah, so yeah, they can no. have the potential to sign players of that calibre yeah. and really try and push the team forward yeah that's very true West Ham drew at Leeds on Wednesday uh, in a day we saw the passing of their co-owner David Gold yeah so David Gold he, um, he so he grew up directly opposite uh, the Berlin ground yeah this is a guy who was a massive West Ham fan this guy I think he played for the boys team played for the youth team and I think he probably lived his dream in sort of being a co-chair for the side. Yeah. And I think for most teams, they can only dream of having an owner who, you know, has the club in their best interest throughout. You know, to have a club in your heart. Some people arrive in places and they see it as a financial investment. But for him, you would have sensed that it's more about the club for him. It's club first. And I guess that's the ideal, isn't it? As a fan of a football club, you want the players to all be from the city. Yeah, you want the manager definitely. to play for the club. And you want the ownership group and so on to be supporters of the football club. And West Ham have lost a really significant person in their history, but he will be remembered fondly. Yeah. And for them, you know, they'll never forget anything that he did. And it's a shame that he's passed, but, you know, we wish his family all the best. Um, and now to another topic. This one's a bit more positive. Amazing news for Sebastian Haller as he's back in training with Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, you're right. Remember him, of course, in the summer after his move um, to Dortmund, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Uh, which was a, sh a huge blow because you really didn't, you know, expect it, expect the news. And he's been fighting ever since. He had chemotherapy, and now he's finally back at training, light training, of course. You know, he can't he can't play football anytime like soon right now. Mm. But just to see him back at the training ground with the kit on yeah. and everything, I think again, it gives it's it's it gives him a lot of hope, which is great, a big boost. But also all. The people who are in this situation, who've been in this situation, the hopes and the inspiration that Sebastian can bring, I think is massive. So well done to him for being such a big fighter for Dortmund to obviously accompanying him through this incredible progr pro um, yeah, progress and process, I was going to say. Well done. So now let's just hope that he can be playing very soon. Pelé's funeral happened this week, Nadem, uh, as we know, and it, it was sad, obviously. Uh, but Gianni Infantino, the obviously president of FIFA, was again at the center of a controversy. He can't mm. help himself. Can no, he? he can't, can he? I think, was he taking selfies with some yeah, former that's teammates? Right. But like, literally by the coffin. The coffin is here, and he's here like that with the phone. It, it, a, I was going to say he's an interesting character, but sometimes I just use interesting when somebody's <laughs> just like, you know, everyone knows what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say. And yeah. he's the head of FIFA, like everybody's seeing what you're doing. Don't do something that's going to upset everybody. Like Pele's arguably the most significant person in the history of football. Yeah. So have the moment to just appreciate what he is as opposed to have a moment for yourself to appreciate other things around the, around the, uh, the funeral. But this is him. It's one of many things that people remember him for. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some loose apology around it at some stage. Probably. But then again, his foot seems to fit perfectly into his mouth. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure it'll find its way in there again. He also said that he wants every country in the world to have a stadium named after Pelé. Uh, listen, Pelé, as you said, one of the GOATs, one of the greatest. He's not French. Like, why would I have a stadium in France called after Pelé instead of... Zidane or Platini or yeah. Copa of the great players that we've had yeah, are more significant to us. He's, he's trying to, he, in that, I think he's trying to do something which he believes to be the right thing or the right thing to say. Yeah. But ultimately, not everyone has the same feel about the same people. Yeah. And to sort of demand, if the head demands that such and such, such a thing happen, I think it does miss the point. If people will do it, they'll do it off their own back, not because Infantino decided that that's yeah, the right yeah, thing yeah, for them sure. to do. And also, I mean, no Romario, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho... Neymar, Kaka, none of them players from generations after Pelé's ones was there at the uh, the funeral. That's all we would say. We yeah, would that's all we'll say for now, but yeah. I'm sure there'll be more to talk yes. about in the future. Yes. But Lecce got a big win against Lazio on Wednesday, which was marred by racial abuse suffered by Samuel Mtiti from the Lazio fans, Jules. Yeah, yeah, and his teammate uh, Bonda as well, uh, the Zambian striker for Lecce. I mean, terrible scenes if you watch the game or you can, you can go and check it out. It's not the first time, of course, from Lazio that we know 
Uh, we know they, you know what they do, and we know what they're about. Uh, I'm still, uh, still can't understand, can't believe that in this in 2023 now they're still allowed. Those people are still in the sta in a stadium, because they must be quite easy to identify now, and they're still allowed to go in a stadium to racially abuse a football player. It could be anything. It could be anyone. And 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 maybe something will be done. Maybe not. And then. I'm sure they will do it again. I just, I just can't comprehend how this is still possible and so easy for them to do. I think for me, with racial abuse and other forms of discrimination, most people that do it don't believe that there's anything wrong. So if you don't believe there's anything wrong, you continue to do it. And some of the people who whistle or make the noises, they don't believe there's anything wrong. And some of the people being told to sanction those, they probably don't believe it when they're sort of sanctioning those yeah, people themselves. Yeah, which is the problem. And unfortunately, this is then perpetuates. And as mm. you said, it's 2023. But it still might as well be any other year because it's the same situation, yeah, yeah, except yeah. the only thing that changes is the coverage of it. Yeah. So let's see what Lazio now and, and I guess Serie A do, um, do about that. It was a sad way to end the show, but it was important, I think, to have that message too as well. Nate, thank you so much again. Pleasure like always. For being sir. here. It was a great show. We'll be back, of course, on Monday for a new edition of the Gab and Jules show. And in the meantime, as Gab always says, love the, love the game, love your neighbour and love yourself or something. Like yeah, something. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gabjewels now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels.